Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Well, how are you doing today? Good. I'm Ben. I'm the lead pastor, and I'm glad that you're here. Uh, as we finish up our series, uh, No Wasted Days. In fact, uh, if you're new around here, one of the things we do is we have uh, some notes in your program that can help you as you follow along. If you want to pull those out, as we've been looking through this series, what we've been considering is uh, that God gives us this life, this one life that that to invest in the people around us, to experience really uh, what he has for us, to get to know him. And so we're, we're saying, how am I going to move forward in investing my life? And I've talked about how this is very personal for me, this series, No Wasted Days, as we face some issues, actually some challenges and tragedy. And the one thing I know is that you can't undo that, but what you can do is say, God, I'm going to make the most of every day that you give me. And so uh, what I want to look at is, is a topic that is salient to almost everyone, it, whether, and we're going to look at parenting, whether you have kids or not, because you're going to think about how you were parented. We're looking at no wasted days with my kids. And before I get into the, the topic, I want to uh, see who's here today. How many of you here, you say, hey, I don't have kids or not yet kids or somewhere in that category? Raise your hand. Go ahead and raise your hand. You're the people I like to sit next to in restaurants. I just want to know who you are. Uh, and then uh, how many of you, you say, I have young kids. I have really young kids. Raise your hand. Yeah, oh, you've been up for a while, haven't you? Good to have you here. Uh, and then uh, how many elementary, teenage, but they're still at home? You raise your hand. Yeah. How many of you are like me two weeks ago? Uh, we became empty nesters. How many of you are that? Yeah, they're always the happiest people every service. Uh, and then uh, moving on to the other category of people, how many of you say, how hey, was an empty nester, but they came back, boomerang? Yeah, they're always the angriest every service. Uh, and so, uh, hey, it doesn't matter where we are in this journey or where we aren't. I think there are some timeless principles that we can apply because it's so essential that we get this right. I've had an interesting uh, time as a pastor. I've gotten to talk to a lot of people who are li business leaders of this generation and the last. People who've uh, led uh, Fortune 100 companies. And I can tell you, when it comes to area that they regret the most, it never has anything to do with business. It always is maybe how they engaged in this area of family. And so, uh, just to make sure that none of us are coming in here with a heavy heart, and so you don't think, oh, you know, I'm not a very good parent. Uh, anytime I talk about parenting, I always want to let you know that it can be worse than whatever you've done. And here's some new pictures I came across on the internet. This, yeah, that person put their child in a box. That, that whole suffocation thing isn't good. Here's another one. 
Yeah, that's the parenting fail. And then finally this one. I don't know if this is a fail or just smart. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's going to leave a mark. Well, uh, here's, here's what uh, we need to understand is what are we shooting for? Uh, it says in the scripture in, uh, in Proverbs, it talks about this. It says, children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. Isn't that what it's supposed to be? Parents are, are proud of their kids, and kids are proud of their parents or grandparents. But we know that we always don't live up to that ideal. And here's what will often happen is we say, hey, don't worry, in this next season, not right now, but in this next season. And we know it's important, but it's rarely urgent. And when it is, it's often maybe sometimes too late to deal with something. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And my prayer is that we will have that heart of wisdom as we move forward in this area of our life. Here are some parenting realities. I, and if you're taking notes, you might want to fill these in just, just uh, to, to focus our minds. There's one, we are important in our kids' lives. Now, it doesn't matter if they're 2 or 12 or 42. You are important. I was talking to someone who had a rift in a relationship with their adult child. And I said, I can tell you one thing. You are important. They care what you think and what, they think, what you think about them. Even in difficulty. Here's another reality is our role changes that we don't parent the same way every age and stage. It starts out where we're caregivers. If you have very young children, it's basically, you know, they sleep, they cry, they get fed, they get their diapers changed, you cuddle them, and it's awesome. They can't talk. I mean, it's an amazing season. Uh, and then you go to the next season where you're more of a director. You're saying, hey, this is... Uh, What's going to happen? There's books written on these stages, by the way, if you, if you want any references that were helpful to me. And so uh, where we're saying, hey, this is what you do uh, during this season. And then we move to a coach where we're giving guidance, but we're not telling every step of the way. And then hopefully we get to friend. Here's where most parents struggle. It's not doing the wrong things. It's doing the right things at the wrong time. See what will happen. I, I've seen it. I talked to people, trust me, after this weekend of services, people are like, okay, yeah, that's me. Where dads and moms, you know, they have kids who are getting married and you're still trying to be the caregiver. And uh, you say, that's just because I love so much. I don't doubt that, but that will ultimately be harmful to them in their marriage relationship. That, that's never a positive. That's not your role anymore. Just like with a two-year-old, you don't say, hey, I'm going to coach my two-year-old when they're, you know, put their hand on the stove. You don't say, well, I'm going to let you make your own decisions, but that's going to leave a scar. No, you say, move away. I've seen people they get this wrong, and I'm sure all of us have gotten this wrong from time to time. We need to know our role and act appropriately in that role and hopefully we'll become a friend and though there there might be seasons where we can re-engage as a coach if we have enough influence and if we're uh, allowed to enter in uh, to that season uh, my wife and I as I said we've become uh, empty nesters and so uh, with that we know uh, that hey there's 
not so much direction anymore and a little bit of coaching, but more it's a different kind of relationship. My kids say, well, we're independent. I'm like, well, as long as I pay for things, you're not totally independent. <laughs> so let's, let's get that part right. But I know I shouldn't try to control through that. I do anyway, but I know I shouldn't try uh, to control through that. That's not the most helpful. So, so let me give you an example, and uh, uh, one I've actually shared before, a number of years ago, uh, with our daughters. I have two daughters, uh, and when they came to this whole thing, I knew there would be boys, and I remember what it was like to be a teenage boy. And so I'm like, okay, how are we going to deal with this dating thing? I know parents who will go on one extreme, who will say, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm going to let my kids just make their own decisions. That doesn't turn out well. And then the other extreme, my kids are not going to date at all until they get married. And you're, you're right, they won't that you know about. You'll feel good about it. See, that we can abdicate or we can control, and I think they're coaching. For us, there is a certain age where that, and for us it was 16, I don't know, whatever. See, I wanted my daughters to start dating if they ch uh, chose to, that while they were still in the home. Because I wanted to be able to give input. I mean, how many of you know people who dated for the first time in college? That didn't turn out well, did it? So I'm like, hey, I, w I want to be able to, to coach them uh, in that relationship. In fact, the, the boys' rule is just, hey, I'm, gonna, I, I'm nice. I'm a pastor. So I just want to meet them and, uh, you know, just really friendly, tell them about Jesus, tell them I can help them meet Jesus, you know, all of that kind of thing. And so... Uh, with, with, with that, that was important for us in the coaching. So we need to know our role. And here's, here's another reality. And this one is going to seem like a bummer, and it sort of is, but I'm going to give you some hope. Parents can't make up for lost time. You can't really, you, you can't go back to an old role. You can't, you know, just because you were gone and traveling when the kids were young, you can't call your 15-year-old uh, from upstairs and say, hey, come on, buddy, we're going to play peekaboo. You know, this is going to be great. Uh, but here's one reality is we have opportunities at every age and stage. That you have opportunities every age and stage unless you let it pass. I've uh, shared about my mom who passed away this year. My mom uh, came to know the Lord in her mid-50s. Honestly, parenting was a struggle for her. And she tried her best, and there are a lot of complicating factors, but it, there were a lot of challenges, things that didn't work out. When she became a Christ follower in her 50s, she knew, hey, we were all grown up. But she, she determined to engage the best way she could at that point. And those last years were really redemptive years, those last 30 years uh, in her parenting, even though she missed out on uh, s previous seasons. So what we want to do is we want to say, what does common sense parenting look like? In, in Colossians chapter 3, uh, I, I preached a whole message series on the book of Colossians a couple years ago. I didn't preach these verses because we had uh, talked about a family a couple months before that, so I'm glad we're looking at them today. It says this, it says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And this is about family relationships. And then it says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. 
It says, children, obey your parents uh, in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And then it goes on to say, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. I'm going to close in prayer. So anyway, no, they, uh, uh, now that, that is true, but it's not our topic today. But there's an interplay in these relationships. And then it says, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Now, as we read that, it's really important as you read, uh, well, any literature, especially uh, the Bible, it's divinely inspired word of God, but it was written in a cultural setting. And it's talking to fathers because it was a patriarchal society uh, because the dads made all the decisions. By the way, I don't know about your household. That's not true anymore. And so uh, it would say mothers and fathers do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Uh, now, if you've ever studied uh, Jewish literature, especially uh, religious literature, one thing you'll know is the rabbis, they would take a command and they would know the command was not the only thing they needed to do. They'd figure out what it meant at its core and then how to live it out. So they would take the do not discourage your children that say these are ways we could discourage our children and we're not to do that. But they would also take the positive corollary. They knew that if there was a negative command, there was also a positive impulse that was to be lived out. And they would uh, say, so how can we encourage our kids? And that's what I want to talk about today. No, because here's the goal, no regrets parenting. No regrets parenting. And what, what is some biblical wisdom? This isn't just from me being a parent for a number of years. Uh, or even, I, I have a unique perspective. I've talked to literally hundreds of families on issues of parenting. Uh, but it's really more importantly, it's God's perspective on this. So how can we, no matter what our age, no matter what our stage, same thing with our kids, how can we make, every, make the most of every season of our child's life? I'm going to talk about five things in particular. This isn't exhaustive, but it really, I think, is imperative for us to look at these five. The first is we encourage our kids when we create a sense of security by fighting for a strong marriage. Now, as I say that, I, here's what I know is true. I know some of you, you've been divorced. You're single parents. You're, you're married again. And you're saying, okay. You can't do anything about the past, but what we can do is look into the future. Does it mean it'll be more challenging for you? Yes, it will be more challenging. Will it be impossible? No, it won't be impossible. I'm just talking about from this day forward that we create a sense of security by fighting for a strong marriage. Now, uh, I lived in the South for a while, as you can tell from my strong Southern accent. The, uh, but uh, one of the things that's big in the South especially is NASCAR. And uh, NASCAR, uh, you know, it's sort of fun to watch that. Uh, some of you don't think it's a sport because it's sort of like, you know, drive straight, turn right, turn left. Uh, it's actually something that takes uh, some intelligence. And you're like, really? Yeah, see, the, the people who are, can put their foot on the gas pedal and go the fastest aren't always the people who win. One of the things that's integral in NASCAR racing is when you time and how you take your pit stops. 
Because if you do everything right, but you don't take your pit stops in time, you will always, 100% of the time, you will lose a race. And see, the, the assumption is, is that if you're driving along, that the things will need to be adjusted along the way. There'll be things that'll need to be repaired, and no one gets mad about it. They just know, hey, this is part of life. This is part of what it means. And here's where I'm going to draw the analogy for you, is if you're married, you need pit stops along the way. Uh, we'll, we'll have this, I hear this from people. Well, I married them 10 years ago, and they've changed. They were supposed to. They are. There's no promise. And in fact, if they're the same person they were 10 years ago, that's the problem. We're to learn and grow, and so we need to grow together. The fact that you feel a little tension because you've matured, you've gone through life, you've uh, had some victories and made some mistakes. See, that is natural. The question is, what are you going to, to do with that? In fact, let me give you a l little bit of a preview because, you know, next week is back to school and, and all. By the way, it's great as we start new series and, and invite your friends and we'll make plenty of room for them and all of that kind of thing. Uh, we're going to spend three weeks on marriage. Uh, we do this every year or two because I know that this relationship will affect everything in your life. Uh, it, how you relate to God, other people, your career. And we're going to go through a part of the Bible called Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, uh, which, by the way, uh, I'm, it's the one part of the Bible where I have to edit out some parts because it's too racy. It really is. They used to, little... Uh, uh, teenage Hebrew boys were not allowed to read this part of the Bible. And, uh, but we're going to go through that. I'll try to keep it PG-13. You still probably don't want to bring your kids unless you're saying, hey, we're going to have all sorts of conversations about life. Uh, now week one, I'm going to, it'll apply obviously to married people, but also dating or single people. You, you definitely don't want them this week one. But here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Make all three weeks. It's not because I'm afraid church is going to be empty in the fall. I'm afraid you're going to hear one piece of information and not dive deeply and make a bunch of decisions instead of just saying, for three weeks I'm going to get God's perspective. And I'm going to make that a priority. You know, one of the reasons we focused on re-engage, 18 months, 500 of you have gone through re-engage. And it's a way to, to have a pit stop for a good marriage, for marriage that's having some trouble. And, and it, so, uh, you know, I've talked about, I'm a big proponent of professional counseling when needed. My wife and I have uh, gone to that several times. And I'll tell you what, that's a good thing. By itself, it will not be enough. I don't care if you go every week, that will not be enough to help you. That's a step, but if it's your only step, you're going to have some trouble. Supportive relationships, and then to get God's perspective... And the funny thing is, during this series, we're not looking at, okay, your marriage is about over, here's how to make it bearable. We're actually looking at, uh, how do we get to that very, the, the for better? And oftentimes we focus on how to get out of the for worse. But we're looking at the for better. And so we do that because a strong marriage, it helps families. It helps 
kids. It says this. It says, husbands and wives submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Second way we encourage our kids is to stay engaged in their world. It says in Proverbs 22.6, and this is talking about understanding their personality, but also imparting God's wisdom. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. It's our opportunity to engage at each age and stage. I mean, I remember I was scared to death when we had kids. I, I'm the youngest of, uh, of my family. I never babysat. And then to have kids and then to have girls. And I'm like, okay, how in the world, what am I supposed to do? And so I just said, hey, I'm going to become an expert on this thing. You know, I learned how to paint nails pretty good at it. 20 bucks. No, just kidding. The, uh, <laughs> uh, play with Barbies. I learned about that. I had a whole Barbie collection, like boxes and boxes and boxes. And I know I should have let them play with them too, but they were, uh, they, no, it, it's, uh, seriously, I had to engage in what, and especially when they're older, what interests them. And, and we know from a biblical perspective, this is what God did with us so we would know him. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's the incarnation. That it's God with us. Maybe you had grandparents. I love hearing those of you who had grandparents and you had a great grandparent experience. And why did you like to go to your grandparents' house? Was it so you could sit inside on a sunny day, hear them complain about politics or what medications they were on or their ailments? Was that it? No, that was part of it, the price you paid. No, it's because they were, the best ones were totally engaged and were totally listening. And you felt like you're the most important person in the world. Now, that can't be a 24-7 thing, but that should be something that happens so regularly with uh, our kids. I mean, you know, and we all do this uh, different ways. For me, uh, with my daughters, even now, if I'm uh, with someone and we are in a meeting, just got to let you know, I get a call from one of my kids. I always take the call. And I just want them to know, because a lot of times I've been, uh, busy. I know some of you think, hey, busy, you're a pastor, don't you work like three hours a week or something like that? Uh, but I always want to know that if they need to call me, that I will pick up right away. It might look different for you. This is the third one I think is the most important of them all, and that's to give them a God-sized perspective in life. See, I think this is so true. Uh, most of our campuses are on the east side, and so uh, I think this is especially true in this region. I'm perplexed by what I've seen. I'm in my 10th year as pastor at Timberlake Church now. And I'm perplexed at what I've seen among kids, among students. Because we're in this place which is an amazing place to live. It's so uh, fun and many things to do and creative and incredible schools and such a rich blend of people from all sorts of different cultures and parts of the world. I think it's amazing. Yet one of the things I've seen, and it's not once, it's not twice, it's not even dozens of times, 
It's at least hundreds. I'm sure it's more than that. Of kids, and I'm not talking about kids who are on the margins. Kids feeling less than. Kids, and you look on the outside and it's like, hey, we're not talking about someone who's can't pass a class or is failing at everything they do. But, but in any other place, they'd probably feel like I'm doing okay. And I think part of it is an unattended consequence of high achievers. And I'm not saying become a low achiever for Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. If you heard me talk about the work series, I said you should be best at work, you should get pay raises and promoted. And that'll be a good thing. That's a God thing. I'm talking about the fact that we, we don't allow God's perspective to be the ultimate perspective in their life. And so here's what will happen and as the kid struggles or becomes depressed. I mean, on the extreme, we've seen kids, even for academic reasons, try to take their own life or actually do so. Is the best thing we can do, and this is not going to solve every issue any, every issue when it comes to, you know, some might be some uh, mental issues that you, you'd need some pr big professional help on. This is in combination with that. Is that you give a God-sized perspective. Because otherwise what we'll do is we'll say when they're not feeling good, well, maybe try harder or it doesn't matter what other people think. And those are very common. I probably said those at some point. I just know those aren't going to work. They're not going to be enough. But when I say the creator of the universe, what does he say about me? One of my life verses, you know it because I quote it all the time, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Have you taught your kids, do they know that promise? And you got to, if you know the context, that was during a really difficult time for the nation of Israel. And God's saying, I have not given up on you. What about when your kids fail? What about when it's 100% their fault? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. What about when they don't feel smart enough or athletic enough or good looking enough or social enough? I think we need to go right back to Genesis 1. What does it say? It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That every person is an image bearer of God. I mean, as you, as you think about some of the, the strife, I, I mean, I've heard kids in our own church who, not only because of ability, sometimes because of ethnicity and people will say things that are not only stupid but just mean and you know what the most important perspective is no matter what your education your race your ability your disability your ethnicity your background the Bible says every single person is created in the image of God and that should determine how we move forward. C.S. Lewis wrote a, a little book many, many years ago called The Weight of Glory. And one of the, a statement that has stayed with me for now well over 30 years 
He said, if you could see the dullest, most uninteresting person you know in their glorified state with Jesus, is that it would be hard for you not to bow down and worship them. We're created in God's image. And so when friends on social media say stuff, and that stuff happens, we say, no, I, I'm created in the image of God. And by the way, when you bring your, and you're, you're at church, hey, you're on church at a holiday weekend, so you are like 18. Uh, if they're not getting this input, they're not going to get this input anywhere else. Or if they do, it'll be based in subjectivity, which never lasts. Your kids are too smart for that. They need God's objective truth. One of the things I'm, I'm proud of, uh, just of you as, as, as a church, you know, we've we focused more and more in the years, not only in building up our community and campuses and, and local ministries like Acres of Diamonds, the homeless and all of that, but internationally. And one of my visions was, what if we didn't just send money? We're, we're good at doing that. In fact, when the hurricane hit in Houston, the great thing, because of how we, we didn't have to wait a week to take an offering and for me to make you feel bad so we could help people in need. One, I, I don't like manipulation. What we just said is, you give your first and best to Jesus when you worship. As God blesses you, you invest in God's work at your local place of worship. And if you say, hey, I don't have a lot of money right now. We give proportionally. God never asks you to give in advance of what he's given you. But you say, no, God's blessed me and uh, my business is doing well or I got a bonus. And so, okay, you take a portion of that, you give that to the Lord's work. And because of that, we were able to write a check right away when the th to Samaritan's Purse, who we partner with in Houston. And we're going to be involved in greater ways, but there were right now needs that we wanted to be part of. Uh, and, and a fairly significant one at that. Uh, but I think what's one of the best things we do is people going. In fact, uh, we have uh, a picture of the team that went to Mexico. This is uh, one of our family mission teams. And oh, I guess we can't totally see that there. But they are a totally good-looking group of people. Okay, there they are. Yeah, you can see it. Uh, and in fact, a lot of them are here. They came in late last night and they came to the service today. Is that awesome? Let's give them a hand. Because here's what it is. Bigger perspective. This is what God's doing in the world. It's not only people who are in greater need, and of course they'll see that. It's getting, this is what God wants to accomplish in the world, and you can be part of that. And we have other teams just this year going to Korea and Poland and India and, you know, all over. And we help our kids get a God-sized perspective. And in the most troubled times of life, they can hear the promise of Jesus, peace I leave you, my peace I give. I do not give to you as the world gives. God's perspective is unique and it cannot be replaced by anything else. And then, uh, fourth, as we uh, move on in this, is we need to be an agent of God's grace. Kids will fail, parents will fail. The scripture tells us this, uh, 
about God's grace. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to get that. Some of you are like, well, I would, but I need to change. No, that's not what the Bible says. You heard, you heard that from a religious person who taught you the opposite of what Jesus says. But the Apostle Paul, carrying forth God's word, he says, while we were yet sinners, on your worst day, Jesus said, I love you so much, I will pay the price. And when I experience that grace, I get a little bit better at sharing that grace as well. And then, finally, number five is tell them your God story. This is so important, is, is that we share how God has worked in our life. It doesn't mean you need to be a theologian. It means that maybe, we saw this last week when one of the people uh, was telling how they met Jesus here at Timberlake and they, and they wanted to be baptized to tell their kids, God is first in my life. This is the way I'm going to say my God story. As I, I, Isaiah 38, 19 says, each generation tells of your faithfulness to the next. Uh, you know, every once in a while I'll get this. Well, I don't want to influence my kids when it comes to religion. And, and, I, and I get that because maybe you grew up in this hyper-fundamentalist home where everything was put on you. But this is the most important decision in your life. You need to lead your kids that way. I mean, we can't control, make anyone... But if you don't tell your God story, you know what? They're going to buy into a fable. And fables hurt people. And maybe for you, you didn't have much of a God story growing up. And you, as you hear parenting, you're not thinking about how much you, you did right or wrong in parenting, but the pain that you experienced along the way. Psalm 68.5 says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. That he can be that father, he can be that perfect parent for you. And in that, that brings healing. In fact, the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament, there was 430 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Jewish people called it the silent period. It seemed like God wasn't saying anything. But one of the last promises God makes is that he says, I will turn the hearts of parents towards their children and children towards their parents. And then when Jesus came, we read in Luke 1, 17, it says about him, and it says, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. To what? To turn the hearts of parents to their children. So maybe there's, for, for you, there's a celebration of things going well, and you're on the right course, and we want to equip you, be with you, partner with you every single week. But for some of us, there's a, something that needs to happen in our heart. And that's going to be between you doing business with God. And so as we close out our service today, we're going to receive communion together as a reminder of the ultimate work that Jesus has done on our behalf. And by the way, here's how you don't have to be a member of this church or any church to participate in communion. You just have to have that want to where you say, you know what? What Jesus, he, he died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. Man, I want that. 
I want to either reaffirm that or maybe even for the first time. So as the, the band comes forward, uh, by the way, during, uh, during communion, uh, you uh, can uh, remain, uh, just hold, hold the cup and the, the bread and the juice, and then I'll come back up and we'll all receive it together. But let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness. God, thank you for your grace. God, I pray that uh, we would experience that in these elements. God, as we receive them together, as we remind ourselves of your faithfulness. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.